Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers. I am your host, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. Oh, I'm so enthusiastic today. I am currently drinking a cup of coffee, so I have energy. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, welcome to, once again, one of our Monday episodes. Today we're going to be talking about a few things that are, of course, baseball-related. Um, and we're going to start with the surprising news out of Tampa about the possibility of them, or the beginning of their investigating whether or not it is feasible or uh, logical, maybe, maybe a better word, for them to split time between Tampa Bay and Montreal as their home cities. I don't know what they're trying to do here. If I had to guess, it's that attendance is awful in Tampa. And part of the reason that baseball attendance in general is worse than other team, other sport attendance is because there's a huge amount of games. Right. right they play 81 games in Tampa. And so I would imagine that the thinking here is if we reduce the amount of games we play in Tampa, that might incentivize people to come out more per game, and that way you'd have a higher artificial intel- um, intelligence, a higher artificial attendance, because it might be the same amount of people over the course of a season, mm-hmm. but if each game could have a higher population, then that might bring about a better atmosphere for them. Right. So that's what I'd imagine they're trying to do. And then they could also basically do the same thing in Montreal because Montreal also had attendance issues, which is why the Expos moved to Washington, D.C. And then maybe you could try to do the same thing there where if there's a limited amount of um, opportunity to see baseball in Montreal, then people might actually go to it for... Because my other thing is, I don't think that they would do like 50-50, like everyone's saying, like 50 games, no, or you know, 40 some no games. Shot. No, I think they'd play probably of their 81 home games, probably like 50 to 60 of them in Tampa, and then just a handful of games in Montreal. Because I'd imagine they would do like a series in Montreal before and after they play the Blue Jays both times. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, you know, they play the Blue Jays in Toronto, I think twice a year. For two or three, let's say three times a year. So you do a series before and after each one of those, and you're already at 18 games right there in in Montreal. And I'd imagine that'd be most of them. Yeah, I was thinking it would be more of like a 50-30 split, something like that, um, just so that you could have, you know, I don't know, Canadian holidays, spend time up there. I don't know what goes on in Canada because I'm not from there, but... I feel like if they were going to go all in on this and actually have this be a feasible thing that they could do, um, they'd have to have more than just three or four or five, six series in Montreal um, because there's no way they would be able to build a fan base just doing one-off series here and there in Montreal. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to grapple with is, is I'm, I'm, I'm not sure why they picked Montreal. Uh, It could just be that Montreal has a pre-existing baseball stadium that is currently unoccupied, and that's all that they're looking for, which I guess is fair. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just still not sure. I don't think that they would move to Montreal because Montreal still hasn't solved. Like, Montreal has this... when When that franchise ceased to exist, they had... All of the exact same problems that Tampa has now. People weren't going to games. The stadium was considered out of the way of, of Montreal proper. And it sucks. 
and it was considered kind of a shitty stadium. Mm-hmm. And that describes Tampa Bay's issue to a T. To a T. Yeah, I mean, the, the trop is out of the way, it's considered a shitty stadium, and people aren't going. And so I don't know if they would move there, move there. I want to say this would be like them testing the waters for a temporary moving while they build a new baseball stadium, but then the trop's still functional. Like, if you're going to build a new ballpark, it doesn't have to be on top of the trop. Like, you could just do it like what the Yankees did and build it. What most teams do. Yeah, build it while you're still playing in the other one, which, yeah, actually, which fucking every team does. So that's what, outside of just trying to generate more attendance, which I could see this being... That this working for like a little while, but I just don't see this being a long term solution to their attendance problem. And so I saw a tweet today. It actually was a Facebook post that they he tweeted out. But the mayor of Saint Petersburg, Florida, said that the Rays can't do anything without the approval of him specifically because of the deal that they have with the city of Saint Petersburg until twenty twenty eight. So. Even though they have permission from MLB, they don't have permission from Tampa Bay and St. Petersburg, Florida to go anywhere else until their current contract is expired. And in his tweet, he said that he's not going to allow it in any way until they come to him and actually work out a deal. Yeah, I I think, yeah, because apparently that contract's in 2027, right? 2028. Uh, it's over, and yeah, the final year is 2027. Right. So the only reason I imagine they haven't gone to him already is because this is still the investigation stage. Like They're still just looking into mm-hmm. whether or not it's feasible. So it's like, why piss off the mayor if we're not even going to end up doing this? Because this, is, this isn't the race saying that they're going to do anything. This is just the race saying that they're going to look into it, which I think it's interesting enough of a concept that it probably does warrant them to at least look into. I think they're getting really killed by social media for just checking in especially the rays which is one of the most forward-thinking organizations all of in all of baseball i think that they would at least earn have earned a little bit of credit like if this was the mets then it's like fuck it you know what i mean like they're out of their goddamn minds but the rays i mean they were like the first team to really use the shift they were the first team to like really focus on um minor league player development they were the first team to really focus on last season the opener strategy and so I think it's kind of weird that people haven't been giving them a little bit more leeway and instead of just jumped onto this murderous bandwagon. Because I'm not saying that this is going to be a good idea, but I'm saying that the Rays are smart enough of an organization and have shown that for well over the past decade that you'd think that like if they're going to do some looking into things, I bet they have a good reason. Yeah. I mean, they're not a dumb franchise, like you said. They're not the Mets. Um, Speaking I've, of which, just real quick, did you see the, the the Mets pitching coach hire? No, an eighty-two year old man who oh um, pitched with Sandy Koufax. Oh my god! Yeah, he's been out of baseball since the Clinton administration. Oh my god, Mets, what are you doing? And everyone's like, "No, it's good." Like he really knows what he's talking about. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm sure he does," but he's still Jesus, eighty-two. God, he was like literally around when Jackie Robinson started playing ball. He might have been right there around. No, yeah. he must have if he was playing with Sandy Koufax. Regardless, like Jesus, Fucking I mean, Christ, yeah, the Mets. Like, How wow. does a franchise with that much money in a city that loves them so much 
be so bad at just making basic decisions? Uh, because their ownership is ass. Everyone's saying the this, this screams of the Wilpons doing it, and I, I'm willing to believe that because the Wilpons are insane people. But, yeah, it's... Uh... Anyway, back to your point. Um, yeah, I was just saying this is most likely... Like, if this is not them being completely serious about this and they're just investigating and whatnot if they don't actually fully intend to move to montreal i view this as just a leverage situation trying to get a new deal for tampa bay because this would put a lot of pressure on st petersburg to try and really push and it pushes the favor and onto the side of the Tampa Bay Rays organization to get a new stadium deal with Tampa Bay earlier than 2028. Yeah, yeah, I have to imagine that leverage is exactly what they're going for, whether it's leverage to move and stay in Montreal or leverage to at least use Montreal as a placeholder while Portland builds a new stadium or Vancouver or some third city in Texas or fucking whatever. The fact that they could probably work something out with Montreal to at least play there in the interim, I think, would make uh, make sense from a leverage standpoint. I I'm I want I really want Tampa or the Rays, I should say, to look into this. Like, I really want to hear what they come up with because I want to hear why they thought it'd be a good idea. Because I'm just so curious now. Because this is something because we we talked about relocation in our like to each other and on the mm-hmm. show a million extensively, times, and I, we've never thought of doing this. Yeah, like, I know we talked about, like, if we had to move a team, where would we move them? And I'm sure at some point we're like, oh, we could move the Rays, who don't want to be in Tampa Bay, to, like, Montreal. I know for a fact we've said that. Yeah. But then at the same time, we've also said, yeah, but that'd also be pretty dumb. Especially because Montreal had all the same yeah, problems exactly. that Tampa did. Like, we've made these points before, and now it's real life. And I just don't. I'd love to just sit down with the owners of the Rays and just like not even add any input and just I just want to be a fly on the wall during that meeting where they came up with this idea. Yeah, yes, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. That's why I really want to see what they come what what they say about it. Like if they get through in a whole in, uh, through a whole investigation period on it, because I am just fascinated now about how this came to be and like what they were looking for and like. I'm like because they've got my trust as far as being smart people go. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got my as much as I I want them to lose every game that they play because they're in my division. Like they're a really fucking smart team. They've proven themselves. Yeah, a hundred percent. So they've fleeced the pirates more times than I can count. Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, always going to be a, a head scratcher for sure. Mm. Uh, can we just do an episode talking shit about the pirate? Oh, right, fixing the pirates episode. Yeah, we're we're definitely going to do that. It is going to happen. Um, actually, speaking of some of the Rays ideas in in the past, I I have um a question. Okay. They, which I guess just leads us into our next topic. As we know, I'm a stickler for for uh word choice. Absolutely, the opposite of me. Yeah. Um, how do you differentiate if you do it all? A bullpen game from an opener, like like an opener for a game. Do you uh, consider there to be a difference between those two things? And if so, what is it? Um, I guess it would be 
the length in which the par- I think it's partially the length in which the second starter comes into the game and I guess whether or not they've been able to put up starter level innings in the past so like if they're having a quote-unquote bullpen game the opener comes in has like an inning or two they bring in another reliever and he just happens to be able to go like 80 pitches and four or five innings it's like okay it's still a bullpen game just because he happened to be really effective but if it's a guy that was continuously going 80 90 100 pitches going five six seven innings what it whatever it is if it's that consistency where that guy has always been able to do that or it's a role that he's continuously doing or he was a starter in the past then i would say it's just an opener you 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 have you have uh described my exact line of thinking as well because what this is weird we never agree like this yeah i know it's 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 a nice change of pace for us (laughs) because when when the idea of the opener strategy first kind of started coming around in baseball, the way it was described to me and the way that I still think makes the most sense when you think about it as an opener versus a starter versus a bullpen game is that the hardest outs to get in a game are the first three outs or at least yes. one, two, and three in the order, wherever right. they might fall. It's the same idea between uh, or um, it's the same idea as when you could use your closer in like the seventh inning instead of the ninth inning, if one, two, and three are up in the seventh and it's a close game. High leverage situations. Right. And so wherever one, two, and three are, use your best pitchers or whatever your best matchup might be. Right. And so the way that idea got described to me is that, well, one, two, and three are the first dudes who hit in the game. So why not bring in a guy who matches up well against them to face one, two, and three and then bring in a starter? Right. Or at least a guy, a guy like you said, a guy who's historically good for like somewhere between eighty-five and a hundred pitches. Right. Who like that's his job. Like um, uh, Yanni Chirinos, uh for the Rays. He's a guy who was a starter in the past. He typically goes five, six innings, sometimes four. He has struggled early on in the past, and that's why they have him as a secondary starter, however you want to define it. I think and bulk man's my favorite word. Bulk man, yeah. I always tend to think of that as primarily reliever. Relievers who can go like two or three innings. Um, where like secondary starter is someone who will go at minimum four. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it works great. It's one of these money ball ideas that make a lot of sense when you think about it logically and not just thinking, oh, but starters start the game that's just the way baseball is and always was and always should be um and it works out great you're getting rid of you're allowing guys who can just put their all in for three outs just like you would with a closer and it works great yeah it came to mind because the yankees uh, we're recording this on june 21st the yankees just butt fucked the astros for three hours it was great it was nice i watched the game yeah, it was really really good um but the, the the announcers kept kept calling it um, a game done by a start by by an opener, mm-hmm. and it was it was Chad Green for two innings, and then it was Nestor Cortez Jr., who has only been a reliever for us um, this one season, 
uh, for like the next three innings, I think. And then it was just a smattering of relievers, including like David Hale and um, Chapman had to come in at the end there. And like that to me isn't, that's not an opener. Now, I think like, you know, if uh, if Jordan Montgomery is able to come back at the end of the season and they throw Chad Green in front of Jordan Montgomery because, you know, like he's still coming back from injury. We want him right. to pitch in games, but we want him to to pace himself. So then that makes sense. I mean, exactly. then you give give you give Greeny like an inning or two mm-hmm. and then, you know, you hope that 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 Jordan Montgomery can go through innings like either two through six or three through through eight and mm-hmm. that would be a an opener that would be the guy who faced the toughest outs at the outset of the game and then you brought in a guy who's most prototypically a starting pitcher for however long he can go within his normal range right and yeah that's perfect definition of an opener right do you see one of the two of them as being more advantageous over the other um I'm a kind of guy where if I was a manager, I would be very cautious with my use of relievers just because it's a finite resource and I'm very much more of a conservative type manager where I would want to, you know, save that resource in case I need it. So I would always be a proponent of having a one, two inning opener, have a guy get starter level innings that can prove that's proven he's capable of doing so and then closing out the game like I normally would um I mean I'm not against bullpen games like the Yankees had yesterday I know the Astros did something very similar where they had Frambler Valdez come in he was there for like what 3.1 innings something like yeah, that but he was good he, he got pulled because he got rocked he got rocked he got, he's he's not, he got a six run inning but he was a guy that was a bullpen arm for them for quite a while, wasn't a typical starter, and yeah, it didn't work out for them, but it's the same strategy, and it doesn't work every time. So, I mean, personally, I'm a fan of opener followed by second starter, but I have nothing against bullpen games. No, I am too. Uh, We are just in sync on this topic. I hate it. I love it. Uh, And the episode now. Because the other thing you want to think is, no matter how good someone's ERA is, those earned runs had to get there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the more guys you bring in, I just I, I, maybe we could turn this into an episode idea. But the more guys you bring in, I just have to assume that the higher the odds get that someone's letting up runs, someone's going to have either a mediocre inning or a bad inning. And I'm sure it works out plenty of times where they're all spotless. You know, the the Dodgers threw a combined no hitter last season mm-hmm. against somebody I forget. Um, Using like four pitchers or so. Was that Rich Hill or do you remember who the starter was? Oh, I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say Alex Wood. I have no idea. <laughs> um, so I think I think personally the fewer pitchers you can use in any game, the better. Because, Always. Yeah, because, you know, you're, you're, you're more liable to get if, – if they can go lengthwise, that means that they have their stuff is good. They're able to hold up in a in an endurance way, and there's just less risk of bringing in uh, enough guys that eventually someone's just not there, and that's what ends up happening to pretty much a lot of uh, pitchers at some point in the season is that they're going to have an inning where it's just like, what the fuck happened there, mm-hmm. you know? Blake uh, Trinan last night. 
Yeah, or even it happens to starters too. It happened to Blake Snell against the Yankees a few days ago, where he got one out. You know, like it. It happens. It happened to Mad Bum last night. Yeah, he got bad around on as well by the by the mm-hmm. by the Dodgers. And and yeah, I, I just think that that the more pitchers you have to bring in in a game, this the higher the odds are that someone's going to fuck it up. So, in addition to like all the other strategies around it, I also think that. Um, a, a a bulk man, a second starter, whichever term you find most um, ready to help you understand that concept, that's that's my that's my way of doing it. Because we are a statistics podcast that very rarely uses actual statistical terms, the higher the variability, the higher the chance that shit goes wrong quick. There you go. Look at there that. you go. We're smart people. Yeah, I, I can't help but think every time. Reasonably intelligent, non-dumb people. I think so. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that. Um actually brings me to one of my one of my next points. Excellent. Um so they in that that Blake Snell game against the Yankees where he let up a bajillion runs and got no outs. Mm-hmm. Um which first off was bizarre because it was a 6-run inning with 3 hits. Did you see this? No. Yeah, it was hilarious. He walked everybody. Damn. Blake Snell? Yeah. There was like it was it was like three walks, like an error and like three hits. Was this last night? No, this because last night they played the, the Astros. This was um over the weekend. I want to say Saturday maybe. I'll try. Or wait, for- no, what what day is it? Maybe it was Monday or Tuesday. Whenever the fuck the, 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 the Yankees played the Rays. I don't I can't keep track of days. I'll look up the actual line. Okay. But anyway, while you're doing that, Blake Snell got one out. It took him thirty nine pitches. Okay. It then took the reliever who came in 12 more pitches to get the second two outs. So it was 51 pitches in a half an inning. That's really bad. So the the guys in the broadcast were wondering, is that a record? Or like, what is the record? And so they posted it up to their, their in-house stats guy to, you know, hop on baseball reference and, and do the whole thing. And he came up with this game, and I just well, I had to share it with you. Oh God! So, what do you think the record is for pitches and happen? They this was not it. Um, what do you think the record this uh, Yankees game? I mean, um, was not the record. Okay. What do you think the record is for pitches in a, in a half an inning? So it's not. It's higher than fifty one. It is higher than fifty one. Just a full inning or a half an inning. Half an inning. Um, I'm gonna guess it's like sixty five. It's 97. Oh, my fucking God. What? 97. Give me the deets, Josh. I figured you'd want them. I want the deets. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is going to make you laugh, um, but it was against the Orioles. <laughs> In 1996, though, like, and I'm pretty sure I'm gonna pull them up. I'm pretty sure they were good that year too. Yeah, they um, they still had a what's his face, Kyle Ripken. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, They were also apparently first in attendance that year. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Orioles have that ever first of 14. Yeah. Fucking go figure. Um, what's their record though? I can't seem to find just their record go back up to where it has the uh the graph of like wins and losses oh there it is yeah. 88 and 74 finished second in the ALEs, which means that Pretty they went to year. the uh they went to the um the playoffs that season so fucking yeah go fucking figure right so the 1996 orioles right they were playing the 1996 texas rangers april okay. 19th 1966 oh, fucking score 26 to 7 oh my right, god here, back up cuz i want i want to i want to i want yeah okay yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. this was uh, just reactions then. So, 
uh, inning by inning. Okay. Okay. And it's going to become painfully obvious which inning had the 97 pitches. Okay. All right. So is this like the box score? Yeah. So just 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 top of the first. Okay. Orioles come out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Score a run. One nothing. Excellent. Good job, guys. Rangers come up to bat. Mm -hmm. Drop a five spot. Ooh. Okay. Orioles are in a hole. Five to one. It happens though. Five run innings happen. Yep. 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 Top of the second. Orioles do nothing. Still five to one. Bottom of the second. Texas comes back again, drops another one on them. So now it's one run. Yeah, one run. So okay. now it's six to one. Third inning, nothing happens. Still six nice, to one. Nice. In the fourth inning, the Orioles tie it in the top of the fifth. Top Way of the to fourth. Go. Score yeah. f- five runs. Five runs in the top of the fourth. So there now we it's go. six to six. I, I can do some math. And they hold the Rangers scoreless in the bottom of the of the fourth as well. So Excellent it may, they hold up the tie. The Orioles are held scoreless in the top of the fifth, still okay. tied six to six. Okay. The Rangers score three. So now it's nine totally to six. Fine. Huh? Totally fine. It happens. Yeah. It happens. Everyone's got an outing. Yep. Nothing happens in the sixth. Okay. Top of the seventh, Orioles score again. Good job. So now guys. it's seven to nine. All right. Not out of Nice the, little barn burner we got going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing's out of reach for anybody. Nope. But unfortunately, in the bottom of the seventh, the Rangers come and they score uh they get that run back. Okay. So now we're at uh, 10 to, to, seven. to 7. In the top of the 8th, Orioles can't get anything done. Mm-hmm. Still 10 to 7. In the bottom of the 8th inning, the Rangers score 16 runs to make the game 26 to 7. <laughs> Hold what? the Orioles scoreless in the top of the ninth. That's the end of the game. <laughs> can you... Can you break it down by inning so we could see what happens? As a matter exactly. of fact, I can. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Just real quick, I I, I, haven't, I didn't look at this ahead of time. I want to see. Uh, Daryl Hamilton of the Rangers got four hits in the game. Any home runs? Oh, man. This is just, it's just, yeah, quite a few. Okay. <laughs> um, do you want to just go straight to that uh, that, that, that yeah. mess of an inning? Nah, just give me that. I don't give a shit about the first nine okay. or ten. Hold on one second, so I can so I can just get it up. Oh, what All a right. fucking shit show! I love it. Bottom of the fourth, top of the sixth, top of the top, bottom of the eighth inning. All right, um, Armando Benitez replaces Roger McDowell pitching. Jeffrey Hammonds moves from pinch hitter to left field. So this is a fresh pitcher too. Yes, actually, all three pitchers used in this <laughs> inning will be fresh pitchers. And again, keep in mind. These three pitchers to get just three outs used ninety-seven pitches. That wow. is, th- oh, like thirty-two been, pitches per out. There are there have been complete games this year with fewer pitches than that. As you and I have talked about, although I think not on the show, most perfect games have fewer pitches yeah. than that. <laughs> Way to go, Orioles! It's just the most Baltimore thing in the world. Yeah, Do I you think. Baltimore has the record for the most outliers in the MLB record books. Oh, that's that's tough. I, I don't know how else it could be. They're just such an anomaly of a team. Because the thing yeah. is, as I said earlier, they were good this year. Yeah. They made the playoffs. Yeah. Well, that year, not this year. I sorry, sorry, uh, yeah. 1996. Yeah. yeah. Um, not good this year. No, far from it. Far from it. So let's get into what happened in this inning. Um, and I would like to thank the Yes Network for providing us with this topic today because I just uh, could not you. believe it when they said this. Because they were at, they said fifty one, and I was like, fifty one is like a lot. That's a lot for a half an inning. That is a, quite a lot. I mean, if you extrapolate that out over eight innings, which is the least you'd have to pitch if you were the home team, I mean, that's 
that's 400 pitches. What, what would you say the average is, like 18 pitches per inning? I'd say we're looking somewhere around 18. Yeah. I'd say that's fair. 15 is usually the ideal. If you hit more than 20, it's rough. So, But it's not crazy. I'd say 18 is, yeah. is a very fair average number. So the fact that they hit 51 is like, I mean, wow, that's a lot of pitches. And the fact that they said 97 was the record, I was shocked. So let's get into what happened here. I'm so excited. I am too. <laughs> so as I said, Armando Benitez replaces Roger McDowell pitching. Jeffrey Hammonds moves from pinch hitter to left field, and Mike Devereaux moves from left field to right field. So it's ten to seven. It's the bottom of the eighth. Um, Armando Benitez is pitching to Daryl Hamilton, gets him into a three-two count, and then he singles to third base. Um, pop fly to deep third base. It had a, I guess that's catch percent all the way up there. Oh, I wish they dragged this shit all the way down. Um, oh, that's when probably added. My bad. Uh, does yeah. So I'm just gonna ignore that percentage then. Yeah. So so we got a man on first. All right. Nothing crazy. Nothing crazy. Got him into a three two count. So those always suck. But you know, is what it is. Those happen. Uh, he then gets into a two zero count on Daryl Valley when Hamilton steals second base. So now okay. we got a runner on second. Still no outs. A two zero count. He then works back to being in a 3-2 count on David Valley, or David Val, however you want to pronounce it, and walks him. So now we got runners on first and second, nobody out. Then Will Clark comes up, and on a 2-2 count, he throws a wild pitch. Runners advance, second and third, nobody out, and this inning is slowly but surely getting away from the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> Oh, but it gets so much worse. Yep. <laughs> On a 3-2 count to Will Clark, so two pitches later, he walks him. So all Bases loaded. All Armando Benitez has done <laughs> is he let up a single, two walks, a wild pitch, and a stolen base in just a bunch of pitches. I, I mean, it's really quite astonishing. But it's still not bad. No runs have been scored. Pitchers have been in this situation. They've been able to close it out, limit the damage. A strikeout and double play. Yeah, strikeout and it. double play gets you out of the inning. Totally manageable situation. So Juan... For now. Uh, sorry, Jesse um, Orozco replaces Armando Benitez pitching. Okay? He then faces... Quick pull. Huh? It's a quick pull. Ah, uh, base is loaded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a game that's still, still within reach. So Jesse Orozco comes up, and what does he do? He, on a 1-2 count... Ready for a put away. He doubles to center field on a line drive. Hamilton scores. Val scores. And uh, Will Clark goes to third. Nice. So we have two runs in on the inning. Um, and two men in scoring Literally the position. first batter that, that Jesse Orozco faces. Yep. He just lets him up on the fourth pitch. Um, then Mickey Tettleton comes up. What a name. He gets worked into a 3-1 count. So clearly Jesse Orozco's rattled. And then he hits a fly ball to left field for a sack fly. Will Clark scores. But they have an out. They have the first. <laughs> they have After three runs score, they have the first out of the inning. Man on second. Uh, and Dean Palmer comes up. And on the first pitch of the at-bat, he hits a home run. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, yep, nice home run. run shot. Fly right. ball to deep left. Um uh, Juan Gonzalez scores and Dean Palmer scores. So we're up to five runs. We're up to five runs. Um, then Rusty Greer comes up on a two-one pitch, hits a single. Mark McElmore comes. Mac- yeah, wow, McElmore. Uh, he comes up 
on a 2-1 pitch, uh, he hits a single. Nice. Yep, Greer to second. So once again, we're at second, first and second, only one man's out. <laughs> we are, we're so far in this. Then infield fly double play or triple play. Oh, uh, that would be tough. No, because uh, it would be an infield fly roll with runners on first and second. Okay. Yeah. Not if there's a runner on first, though, which I just learned the other day. Only if there's a runner on first and second, or I guess and third. Uh, anyway, um, Kevin Elster comes up on a 1-2 pitch. Again, ready for the putaway. He singles again left field. Greer scores. Macklemore goes to second. It is now three runs in the inning. Sorry, five runs in the inning. It's now 15-7. to seven. Not pretty. This game is now effectively over, and all Baltimore needs to do is just get out of the inning so it can end. They're, they The game's out of reach. They're just trying to move on with their day now. But it does not end there. In fact, it gets worse. <laughs> yeah, the, the, that's the, that's the subtitle, the subtext for, for the Baltimore Orioles' existence. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, oh, so Jesse Roscoe is just struggling. He's having a bad time. Daryl Hamilton comes up. He walks. <laughs> So they've officially batted around. Yes, Daryl Hamilton was the first batter of the inning. He comes up again. He gets to a 3-2 count and just walks. Yep. Um, so Macklemore goes to third. Elster goes to second. It's spaces loaded all over again. But this time they leave him in there because uh, what have Why they got not? to lose? Yeah. yeah. David Val comes up. If you recall David Val's last plate appearance, he uh, walked this time. On a 3-2 count, another full count, another instance. It is the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8th time they've had two strikes on a batter and have not nice. struck out anybody. That's wild. I I know. Statistically improbable. improbable. It's, uh, yeah, it's shocking. You know. Absolutely shocking that this has happened. <laughs> <laughs> David Val hits a single line drive deep to the shortstop, through the shortstop third base hole. Uh, McLemore scores. Elster goes to second, Hamilton goes to, sorry, Elster goes to third, Hamilton goes to second. It is still bases loaded, and another run is scored. Then, Will Clark comes up, who walked the last time up, and in yet another 3-2 count for our ninth time that uh, two strikes have been on a batter this inning with zero strikeouts, he walks again. Scoring another run, leaving the bases still loaded, and there is still only one out. Fucking Christ! This game is amazing. Yeah, well, it's fantastic. So that's when that's when the uh, the the manager of the Orioles is like, "Oh dear God, this is this has gone on for long enough," uh, and he replaces uh, Jesse Orozco with Manny Alexander. And in the meantime, Damon Buford, sorry Buford, yeah, whatever, pinch runs for Will Clark. So Manny Alexander comes up. He goes into a 3-1 count on Juan Gonzalez, who had a double his last time up, and walks him to bring in another run and to leave the bases still loaded. It is now 18-7. That's fucking wild. This game is so far out of reach, and at the end of this, the Rangers will still score eight more runs. <laughs> so buckle up. <laughs> uh, they put in another pinch runner, which just feels insulting at this point. <laughs> they put... um. Craig Worthington in for Juan Gonzalez. Uh, so then Mickey Tettleton comes up, who in his last time up hit a sack fly for the only out of the game. He gets into a 3-2 count, and guess what he does? What? He walks. Oh, of course. 
He walks again. So, so far, Manny Alexander's come in and just walked the first two guys to bring in a run each, which lucky for him doesn't go against his ERA. Absolutely. It completely fuck is, fucks Jesse Orozco, though. Um, yeah, because so, fuck Jesse Orozco. Yeah, fuck that guy. So then Dean Palmer comes up. He gets into a 3-2 count. Guess what he does? I don't know, Josh. What does he do? He walks again. Of course. <laughs> he walks. So, so Manny Alexander comes in. Base is loaded, one out, and he walks three straight batters to bring in everyone that was on base and replace them with completely new people. <laughs> How many full counts have gone on in this inning without a strikeout? Oh, oh my God. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> six full counts. Six full counts, Ugh. and almost all, the only one that wasn't for a walk was the first one, which was a single, I think. Every other one of them, no, two singles, one by David Val, one by Daryl Hamilton. Actually, now that I think about it, they might be pinch running these guys because the starters did their job and this game's out of reach, so like, yeah. why not? Now yeah. that I think about it. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Um, yeah, because then, then Kurt Sitwell pinch runs for Dean Palmer. So now, yeah, they replaced everybody on base. All right, uh, Rusty Greer comes up again. When his last time up hit a single, he gets into a 1-0 count where he hits another sack fly. Well, his first sack fly, but the second one of the inning mm-hmm. to bring in another run, but to get the second out of the game. Huge news the inning, for the Orioles. Say. Yeah, I know, right? Massive breakthrough. They've doubled. In the amount of time it took them to get their second out, they let up nine runs. <laughs> That's fucking ridiculous. Literally, one out took... So the first out took them three runs allowed. The second out took them nine more (laughs) runs. It's so many. And there's more to come. Yeah, yeah. So they still need one more out. (laughs) Um, Mark uh, McElmore comes up in his last time up. He had a single... He gets into a 3-2 count. Guess what happens? Does he walk? He walks. Oh, God. He walks again. Sitwell goes to second. Um, yeah. Teleton went to third in the last in the last sack fly play, by the way. So we've got we've got um Teleton on third, Sitwell on second, Mark McElmore on first, Kevin Elster comes up, and on the first hit pitch of the at bat. He hits a home run. <laughs> so is that a grand slam? So what's weird, and I kind of want to figure this out, is that the score only goes from 20... Oh, no, there it is. Nope, it's it's 26 to 7. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it was a grand slam. Nice. I was looking at the wrong place. Yep. 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 Yeah, he had a grand slam. So so just to... And then uh, then Daryl Hamilton comes up on a 1-0 count. He grounds out um, <laughs> to a 4-3 put out for the final out of the, uh, out of the game. Do you think he did that on purpose? No. To stop playing baseball? No, I think I think he I think he was went up to swing because fuck it. But yeah, I don't really, think, yeah. At that point, why wouldn't you swing? Uh, so all in all, there were sixteen runs on just eight hits, which is wild. Zero errors and zero men left on base. The end. The final score of this inning and then eventually the game is seven to twenty six. Just to recap everybody's appearances, Armando Benitez. Harmlessly walks into this inning with no no indication anything bad's going to happen to him. Nope. He's a relief pitcher. These things go on. I'm going to look up his stats at the end of this. I'm going to look up all three of these guys' stats at the end all of right. this because I'm now desperately curious. Um, yeah, he he comes up, thinks nothing of it. Ten to seven, he needs to shut him down for a bit. 
And he's actually the only person to not let anybody score while he's up there. Walks the bases loaded. Good on him. Let's up a single and then the base is loaded. I mean, he still has some things going against his ERA, but... He will. He will because the inherited runners that uh, Jesse Orozco pitches to... So just to recap, Armando Benitez, a single, a stolen base, a walk, a wild pitch, a walk, gets yanked. That was the best outing <laughs> of all three relief pitchers used this inning. <laughs> the Orioles are That was literally the best outing yeah. of any... So Jesse Orozco comes up. He lets up... A double, a sack fly, a home run, and then three consecutive singles, a walk, a single, and a walk, allowing, um, at the end of it all, seven runs, only, I guess, four of which could charge to him, three of which get charged to uh, Armando Benitez before he gets pulled from Manny, Manny Alexander, who walks the first three batters to allow everyone on base to score, reloading the bases, and then lets up a sack fly, another walk, and a grand slam before getting up, uh, getting the final out of the inning. And I this is why I'm glad Major League Baseball doesn't have a mercy rule. I dude, I just I I, I when I heard 97 pitches, I was like, there has to have been a great right. story behind it, and it's still so much better than I possibly could have asked for. So going back, I did end up looking up Blake Snell's stats from that game, which brought us to this topic. So he went. Point one innings pitched, two hits, four walks, six runs, six earned runs, one home run, and yeah, that's good for only a four point four ERA, which I'm depressed that, with. Uh, raised his ERA to four point four. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I also looked that up some other ERA stats. That actually ERA is one hundred and sixty-two. Yes, thank you. I looked up some other stats. This was not the record for the most runs scored by a single team in a single inning. The modern-day record is 17, which was by the Boston Red Sox against the Detroit Tigers, June 18, 1953. Wow. And this still isn't the record for the most runs scored in a single game in the modern era, which was also done by the Texas Rangers against the Baltimore Orioles. Then this year 33, right? In 2007, 30 runs yeah, 30. Yeah, yeah. Outrageous. So I actually thought that this was going to be that game, and then I saw that it wasn't, and I was like, they did this to the Orioles twice? It's fantastic. So let me go over these guys' stats real quick. So Armando Benitez actually had himself a nice career. He um was a two-time All-Star. He was um Roll Aids Relief Pitcher of the Year. Oh, what, um, a, what a fucking sponsor that is. Yeah, really. Uh, but he had 17.3 career wins above replacement. Uh, 3.13 e- lifetime ERA, um, 946 strikeouts in 779 innings pitched. He had 289 saves, and uh, lifetime whip is a little bit iffy at 1.217, but that's not a bad career. Not at all. That's, you know, two all-star appearances is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. 15, 15 years. So 1996, when this happened, <laughs> when this on this dreadful day, um, was his third year in the majors. Um, that year he posted a 3.77 ERA. He actually had himself a nice year. Uh, Bad inning. 12.6 strikeouts per nine. Um, an ERA plus of 134. This was, this is by all accounts an absolute anomaly for him. He actually only allowed, he only allowed six earned runs the entire year. He only pitched 14.1 innings. So that's kind of odd. Um, but he only, so literally, literally half of all the earned runs he allowed this year, which clearly was shortened by injury, mm-hmm. was this game. 
Incredible stuff. Incredible. So then they brought in Jesse Orozco, who also is actually better than than the other guy was. Jesse Orozco, 23.2 career wins above replacement, a 3.16 lifetime ERA, 144 saves, four games started, um, 1,295.1 innings, 1,179 strikeouts. That's that's a good... He was uh, also yeah. a two-time All-Star and a two-time World Series champion. Way to go. Yeah, he was a good pitcher. When this happened Played to him... for a long time. 24 years. He actually has the record for most games played. No fucking way. Like, like the all-time MLB record for most games played by a pitcher, I'm assuming. 1,252. Good on him. Yeah. Wow, we've just stumbled upon greatness. We, yeah. Not in this Some thing. kind of greatness. <laughs> so in 1996, when this happened to him, it was his age 39 season. Wow. Um, He had, in that year, a 3.4 ERA. Um, His ERA plus for that total season was 147, which is super good. Uh, FIP was kind of high at 4.07. Um, he pitched 55 innings. He didn't have any saves, but he um, had... T- uh, 10 games finished. Uh, yeah, by all accounts, this also looks like a decent little season for him. 8.4 strikeouts per nine isn't isn't anything um, earth-shattering, but it's not bad. And he allowed, in this uh, season, 21 earned runs for the entirety of the season. And he gave up four, which means that over one-eighth of all of his earned runs from his season happened in this one singular game. 55 innings, how many total was it? Twenty one. Twenty one in fifty five innings, and then four in. Actually, sorry, 1. sorry, because I forgot about it. the inherited runners. He actually let up eight earned runs this game, Yikes. which means he one third of all the earned runs he allowed for the entire season was one game against the Rangers. Not even just one game. One, one inning. A partial inning. You're right. Did he get an out? I don't know. Oh, he got one on the sack fly. I think he got one. He of got them, one yeah. out. Point one inning. I could have looked right here. It fucking says it. But yeah, point one inning. Let him eight runs. And that is a third of all the runs he allowed in the season. Ugh. That's insane. This was such a wild game for them. I, I know. And this has become a wild little episode for us because I'm just so amazed at how, how much we had to talk about for this. But there's still one more pitcher. There's still Manny Alexander. All right, Manny. He's by far the worst person on this Ooh. list. Um, although he got the most outs in this inning. That's true. His lifetime career wins above replacement, negative 2.4. His lifetime, um, he was, oh, he was a hitter. (laughs) No. His, because you look, OPS plus, slugging on base, home runs, he was a hitter. He hit 15 home runs. Lifetime. 300 hits. Damn, over 100 RBI. He played for 11 years. Wow. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that? No wonder he did so poorly. Yeah, no shit. And yet he still got the most outs. Yeah. I guess that's why they put him in. Just throw Chris Davis in there to throw up some uh, change-ups, some curveballs. Oh, Chris Davis would have done well. Uh, he yeah. would have been fine. That's amazing. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. He was 25 when that happened. I want to see if he has any other pitching um, appearances. No, no, that is literally the... So he, he finishes his career with a lifetime ERA of 67.5. I guarantee you he walked back in that clubhouse and threatened to murder the manager if he ever put him into pitch again. Oh, no, I bet he walked back in that dugout and just started administering high fives like, I got them outs, boys. I got them outs. 
Yeah, wow, that was his only pitching appearance, a 67.5 ERA, but only a 40.67 whip, which means he you know, he he's trending in the right way. I'm sure that number is going to come down to meet the FIP eventually. Uh <laughs> his lifetime ERA plus is 11. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and his home runs per nine is 13.5. Oh, oh that's amazing. <laughs> For non-baseball fans listening, those are astronomically awful numbers. Oh, it's just hilarious. Oh, it's just absolutely hilarious. My heart. <laughs> okay, I- My soul. And do you have anything anything left for that uh, that little that little piece? Uh, no, I do not. Because it actually does like me, me, me the last thing I want to talk about when I'm done laughing. Ah, <laughs> oh, just how astronomically bad the Orioles are. Oh, can you imagine scoring seven runs in a game and still losing by nineteen? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, you as a batter, because the Orioles have done it before, or they did it again. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, there must have been some of the same people on that team. I just can't imagine it. Oh, my God. What are you going to do now, Buck? Oh, what's funny is I think Buck was the manager of the Yankees at that time, so he was probably laughing his ass off. Oh. Ooh, I have something we could talk about after this. The uh, update for the All-Star Game votes just got posted. Let's definitely talk about that right after uh, my, 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 my last thing I came into this topic with is that a topic for discussion I've been hearing a lot about is um, Shohei Otani. Love him. Everyone Big does. Fly Otani-san. Which I still think is a really cringy. I love it. I hate I it so much. I love it so much. Big Fly. Cause it, actually, I actually think it does sound good with Otani, but I think it sounds yeah. awful for literally everyone else. Oh, and he tries to do it with other people, too. He does, that, that, that's work. his home run call for yeah, everybody. I just yeah. don't like it. Big, Big Fly, fly Trout. Like, it's... Yep. Oh. Big Fly Otani-san. Sounds great. Yeah, it actually no. I I gotta admit that fl- that that flies. Like I'm totally with it. But mm-hmm. big fly for everybody else sounds just so bad. Anyway, um, a topic of discussion I've been hearing a lot as it pertains to Otani is should he stop pitching and just be a hitter? Have you heard this? Not seriously. No, ju- just among people saying like you know. Yeah, I've heard people say like, oh, he'll stop. He won't be nearly as good at both if he stops working on solely one of them. Yeah, so and it's I come just, up a lot recently because like, he's recovering from Tommy John surgery, so he's not pitching and probably won't for the year, especially because the Angels aren't contending. Oh yeah. So like, what's the point? There's no chance he comes back to pitch uh, in a game this year. No, there's no point pushing him for it. No. But from what I gathered, people were saying this based on his hitting this season, which I'm sure has been good because he's a good hitter. I could pull up the numbers. I have it up um, right right now. Um, But so let's get into the numbers first real quick. And I don't want to spend too much time on this. Mm -hmm. And and, and I I just want to hear your... your So let me... All right, no, I said let's start with these numbers. Let's start with these numbers. So in um, 38 games, he has 167 plate appearances. He has scored 20 runs, 41 hits, um, four doubles, one triple, nine home runs, thirty RBIs, one one uh, sorry, three stolen base stolen bases, one caught stealing, fifteen walks, forty two strikeouts, and all that amasses to a two seventy five batting average, a three forty one on base percentage, a four ninety seven slugging, and a eight thirty eight OPS, which is good for a one twenty two OPS plus. Now, do those numbers scream to you? 
he's so good at hitting he should stop pitching. Now those are very good numbers. They like, are those are very good in numbers. Thirty eight games. Yeah, those are all great. Um, he's when he first came back from injury. Like so, I've been watching him carefully. He's on my fantasy team. One of my top draft picks in dynasty. I love this man. He started out very cold, um, which is fair. Which is fair. So, I mean, I think he started out in his first like five or six games back. He was batting, you know, barely two hundred. So he's been very good since then. He definitely has the power. Nine home runs in 38 games is tremendous. Um, it's not something that will maintain, obviously, but he's genuinely is, in my mind, one of the better hitters in baseball when he's healthy. Um, but he also showed last year that he is one of the best pitchers in baseball when he's healthy. So I don't think no matter how good he becomes as a hitter, his pitching is still so good, there's no reason to ever stop pitching just to focus on hitting, or vice versa. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's tough because all the, the comps you could possibly make to this are just so old. Right. Because the only person I can think of that had this problem as well was Babe Ruth. Exactly. And and I don't want to compare him to Babe Ruth because that is Babe such Ruth an is unfair the greatest comparison. ball player of all time. Right. Um. Yeah, that'll, it's, it's that'll not take fair. a nerf dart to the face for certain clubhouses comparing players to <laughs> Hall of Famers. Right, which is what we're saying we're not going to do. Right. Um, but we are. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, from what I've been hearing, is like his hitting is so good. Like, you don't want him out of the lineup for like the usually three days that he's out because he usually has an off. When, last year when he was pitching, it was an off day before he pitched the day he pitched, and then an off day after the day he pitched, and then he mm-hmm. batted the other four days. And I'm sorry, but I mean, for leaving aside how good he is at pitching, to to tell or to to say that like a 122 OPS plus, like a 275 batting average, like we're gonna we're gonna force a dude to alter the entire way he plays baseball and the reason he plays baseball mm-hmm. over that just doesn't seem like enough no. you know like they, and it's tough because these are very good numbers and i'm not right. trying to disparage otani at all but i'm saying like imagine you went up to somebody and said you got to stop doing this because you're so good at, at this other thing you'd have to be really good at him at right. it for him to be like yeah of course like, if like he imagine was... joey gallo real quick just imagine joey gallo um he ends up being weirdly amazing at bunting Right. Right? Like, he lays it down one day, and wow, he's amazing. How good at it would he have to be for you to tell him, all right, Joey, stop hitting home runs? Because the thing is, he's also very good at hitting home runs. One of the best. So, unless he can bunt perfectly for a double every time he does it, what's the point? Right. And unless Shohei Otani has an OPS nearing 200. 2,000. Sorry, you're right. OPS plus, I should say. Right. Of um, nearing 200, I I don't see mm-hmm. why you would because for one, it's how he enjoys playing the game, the pitching side of things. Right. And for another thing, these numbers like you could make a trade for someone that has a, a tough trade. You have to give up good pieces. Right. But you could go find somebody that has these comparable numbers if you really wanted the everyday player. The Angels could just go do that, like they already did with Tommy Lastella, which was a free exactly. agent signing. But still, I mean. 
I don't get the, 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 the discussion. And hey, is that trade working out for them? Seems like it. Yeah. We'll go into it, but he's currently the highest vote getter among second basemen. As well he should be. Yeah, he's playing his fucking heart out. So let me ask you, well, do you sorry, before I do, do you have, any, have anything you were going to say? Yeah, so I would say the only time where I would ever even considering this, would ever consider this option is if his hitting causes him or his pitching causes him to suffer significantly at the plate. Right. And it hasn't last year. We haven't seen it this year and we won't. So there's no way that this is an argument that's going to be solved anytime soon. But unless one aspect of his game suffers significantly, emphasis on significantly, because of the other, he shouldn't even consider this. Now, how, so my follow-up question is, how good at hitting would he have to be for you for you to say, all right, we need him batting every day? He has to be playing like Mike Trout. I was going to say, he's got to be Mike Trout 2.0. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even then, with how depraved this pitching staff is, right. I still might say it's not worth exactly. it. Exactly. Because there's no one else like him in baseball. There hasn't been in our lifetime. There's no reason to waste his talents just to get a few extra at-bats every week from him. Yeah. All right. That was all I wanted to, to talk about. I'm down. Uh, you want to talk about uh, a little all-star then? Yeah, lay it on me. So how do you want me to start? Where where would you like me to start? What position? Uh, just top down. Whatever the order is already in. It's... Not in an order. It's a baseball diamond. Oh, okay. Uh, let's do the outfield actually, because I'm I'm most curious about that. <laughs> Seriously, like this is not even worth asking you to guess. But give me the three top vote getters overall for the outfield. So like all the baseball, not all the of baseball. Okay, Christian Yelich. Yep. Mike Trout. Yep. And now this is actually the third one I'm gonna be curious about because I'm not sure if it's gonna be like Cody Bellinger. Or if it's going to be like Mookie Betts. It's Cody Bellinger. Okay. So Cody Bellinger currently has the most votes overall in all of baseball. Dodgers fans. With 2.18 million votes. That's a lot. Mike Trout has 1.9. And Christian Yelich has 2.06 million votes. I think that all makes sense. Yeah. In the infield, first base. Luke Voigt. Incorrect. Josh Bell with 1.1 million Absolutely. Second base. Uh, we talk, Thomas, Thomas Tommy Stella. Stella has 1.02 million votes. Shortstop. Javi. Javi Baez with 1.67 million votes. Third base. Um, I'm going to say um, fucking dude from, from, from Colorado. It is the fucking dude from Colorado. I can't Nolan think of his name. Oh, thank you. God damn it. 1.47 million votes. Catcher. So we talk about this. Right. It should be Gary Sanchez, but it is Wilson Contreras. I agree it should be. Contreras has 1.55 million votes. And designated hitter? So I'm going to assume it's J.D. Martinez? Which it is. Uh, I think a better choice would have been... Um, who am I trying to think of right now? Vogelbach? Edwin? Edwin. Either Edwin or Vogelbach. I think yeah. we're both... And I, I, I should have said Edwin when we talked about this last time. I just didn't think of him because he was mm-hmm. listed under the first base category. Because... Because he does he played play on the same team base. as yeah. Vogelbach. Um, but 
I mean, the dude leads the league in home runs and is yeah. a very good hitter. But yeah, all right, I can I can accept JD though. I wonder if they're gonna change him from first base to designated hitter now that he will not be playing first base anymore. I thought about this because then it also to change his team mm. from Mariners to Yankees, which would make sense because like right. let's say he got chosen as like the Mariners does um uh, uh, representative, but he wouldn't be wearing their he can't because he's not playing hat. for the Mariners. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah, it, it would be interesting to see if like if they move Giancarlo Stanton from being a DH vote to an outfield vote because that's where he'll be playing because Encarnacion will be moving from first base to DH. But was Giancarlo on the ballot as a DH? Yes. Okay. I didn't notice because he had like one game, so there was I never even considered voting for him. Yeah, he had literally two games played before he he's now back from the IL, but like now he's gonna be playing left field because. He came back and was playing right, but now Judge is back and he'll be playing right and Hicks playing center. And so, in your initial ballots, did you still vote for Giancarlo? Of course, I did. <laughs> Does that change now that Edwin is on your team? Are you voting for Encarnacion now? No, because it would conflict with my all my Luke vo- my Luke Voigt votes. That's true. Fair enough, because yeah. he is not listed as DH. Okay, that answers my question. Yeah. Are there any major surprises other than Gary on here? Uh, not not in particular. I mean, all those seem to really make sense. I think I think as, as maligned as the fan vote is, by and large, they do get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that fans do take star power more so into consideration than significantly than your you know analytics shows will. Which is Which why I'm surprised Josh Bell is leading first baseman in votes. I wouldn't be surprised though if it's a thing where it's like like I, I you know how I said I, I kind of was expecting like Fernando Tatis to be a little bit more voted for because San Diego just hasn't had anybody homegrown mm-hmm. to root for in a while, and I don't think Josh is Josh Bell homegrown. Do he start with yes. the pod, uh, Pirates? Yes. Then, like, I, I could really see that being just, like, every Pirates fan actually gets to vote for their guy and feel good about it. And when was the last time they really got to do that? Like, McCutcheon. Corey Dickerson, maybe, like, last season? But he wasn't homegrown. Oh, that's right. He wasn't. He was traded, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. we got him from the Rays. The only good oh, trade we've right. had with the Rays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I could see something along those lines. I I, I think, by, by and large, the fans do get it mostly right. Yeah. Man, I miss McCutcheon. I was talking to a uh, Phillies fan the other day and yelling at him for letting McCutcheon get hurt. And he's like, no, I understand completely. I miss Kutch, too. His Instagram, or his, his Twitter account's super great if everyone wants to follow it. He's so happy and upbeat all the time. Oh, of course. You want to know something funny? Do you know where Always. Josh Bell started his career? Like team or city? Team. Oh. Uh, uh, Minor leagues. Trenton. No, the State College Spikes. Like Penn, Penn State? State? Wow, yeah. okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's neat. Maybe I'll get a State College Spikes Josh Bell shirt jersey. Yeah, I'm yeah. actually going to look up if those exist. You could probably make one. Oh, I'm sure I could make one, but I don't have that kind of money. Yeah, it must, must be tough not having like $25. Um, For a jersey? Oh, there's a shirt. I changed it. I said shirt initially. I was like, no, 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 jersey. All right, anyway. Do you have anything else you want to say? Nope. Well, all right, man. Let's get on out of here. Sounds good. If you want to follow the show, you can do so at Juicing the Numbers. Um, wait, what? If you want to follow the show, you can do so at Juicing Pod on Twitter. If you want to hit us up <laughs> via email, you can do so at Juicing the Numbers at gmail.com. And if you want to find the show notes for this episode and all previous episodes, which will include a link to this box score we talked about, um, Shohei Otani's stats, fucking whatever else, you can do so at juicingthenumbers.wixsite.com slash website. And until thursday 
Y'all have a good one. Bye.